Well, we'll talk about meaning change uh, tonight. <clears throat> and uh, so something that King James II, who was around when St. Paul's Cathedral in London was completed, could have said, is reputed to have said, but probably didn't really say, um, but could have said quite uh, seriously is that he found the cathedral amusing, awful, and artificial. And in all three cases, he would have intended compliments. And the, 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 what this example shows is how much English has changed since the, I don't know, 1600s or whenever the cathedral was completed. Um, amusing, think of, uh, think of uh, an adjective that captures uh, the, uh, the joy that comes from being amused without the connotation that the thing that's amusing you is kind of funny. All right. So what, what, uh, nowadays, if we wanted to say what uh, King James would intend by amusing, what adjective might we say? It gives me joy, it gives me pleasure. So pleasing, all right, or joyous or something like that. Awful, you know what he meant. Awesome or awe-inspiring. Awful, if you think of it, full of awe, why doesn't it mean what it did to King James? It, it did, why did it change? Things change. Artificial, well, it was artificial. I mean, someone had to construct it. But notice the connotation that it has today. It didn't have that con connotation. So remove the connotation of being a substitute for something real, <laughs> okay? Not the real thing. Take away that connotation and give me an adjective that, that, uh, uh, that says something like, uh, it, it took a lot to build it. It, it was a work of artifice. Art, art had to go into the making of it. Give me an adjective that says that. Artistic. Huh? Intricate, complex. Uh, Audrey, what did you say? Artistic. Just all right. So, all right. And uh, so it just uh, gives, us, it gives us cases of the, where uh, part of the meaning of a word is preserved over time, but other, other aspects of the meaning get lost. This is typical. We'll see uh, many, many examples of this, and one of the last examples that we'll demonstrate uh, is that uh, over time, even a and the have changed their meaning. Virtually every word in the English language has changed uh, since, uh, uh, has changed over time. This Thomas Paine, one of the authors of the American Revolution, said the United States, this is back when they were figuring out what to call this country. And it wasn't at all obvious at the time what to call this place. They settled on the United States. I'm sure there are interesting stories about the different kinds of possibilities they went through. But in, in pushing for adopting that as the name of this country, Paine said that that name will sound as pompously in the world or in history as the Kingdom of Great Britain. So they're comparing it to the people that we just won independence from. All right, pompously. Again, 
we, uh, you, you know what he meant. It's just we wouldn't say it that way anymore. What did he mean? Impressively. Magnificent. Magnificently, gloriously, that kind of thing. So part of pomp is uh, so, something that makes, makes a, a big fuss over something, but part of, the pomp, part, part of the connotation of pomp is something really unnecessary. It's kind of over, over, the, over the top. And uh, pomp didn't have that uh, meaning uh, back then, and that's why we have the march and pomp and circumstance and so on. Uh, good. Take the verb scan. But right now, when, when I think of scanning, I think of scanning into a machine, getting a, a photographic image. But of course, the word goes way back. It goes back to Latin, where uh, the root scan meant climb. And in fact, in our word ascend, A-S-C-E-N-D, you can see scan still present as the root. The a again changes to a because it's after a prefix. What's the prefix in ascend? We know, we know that prefix, the Latinate prefix. Ad. I mean, we don't have many prefixes being with a, so that, that's a good guess and it's the right guess. So uh, 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 ascend means to climb to something. Um, the uh, original way that uh, the, the verb was used in English was to scan a verse. And did, you, have, did anybody do this in school? Did you have to scan Shakespeare, figure out where the, where the beats went and so on? Okay, so that's, that's, what, uh, uh, that's what scanning uh, was for us in English. And then it, uh, it, it, retained, it retained that meaning. Still, that's still how we describe that activity today. But it also meant, uh, after that, to read carefully. So from, from scanning a verse, figuring out where the, the beats in a line went, the strong parts of the line and the weak parts of the line, how they measured up uh, to one another, that kind of careful going through a line of meter and scanning, that got generalized to careful going over anything, carefully going over anything written. And so that meant to read carefully. Amazingly, that, that now changed to another, another kind of inspection, which was very rapid. Okay. So, and, and, and help, help me understand this. this. This almost looks like scan, search quickly, means the opposite of read carefully. Help me make the connection. Were we insane at the time? Help me make the connection. It's it's a, it, it's a logical connection, in fact. But help me. Was there a technology advancement, you know, during that period where uh -huh. you might have computers who are able to read carefully, but yeah. at the same time? So yeah, if you're scanning a line of verse, you're overlooking what the verse is saying. You're overlooking the beauty of the thing. You're looking over. You're overlooking what's the subject and what's the verb. You're just looking at one thing. All right, and so searching quickly was a generalization of that aspect of scanning a, a line of verse, all right? And then finally, help us make the transition to uh, scanning a document in a, in a scanner. What's the, what's the part of our earlier scanning that we pick up and preserve in the modern use of the word scan? 
How do how do scanners operate? They, yeah, they go by line by line. All right. So so there you have it. So so you can see how developments in the meaning pick certain resemblances between the old meaning and the meaning that's coming into being and just ignore other factors that are crucial to the old meaning, they just simply ignore them. If we find one similarity that's compelling enough, that's enough to make us uh, apply that word, at least sometimes it's enough to make us apply that word to a new activity. Then uh, <laughs> spam, I think we, we've, we've chased, but uh, let's just go quickly through this. It, it began as um, a trademark, it was probably a blended version of spice and ham, or something like that. Um, and then it got generalized to any kind of canned meat, even one that didn't bear the Hormel trademark. And then uh, can, because canned meat is kind of, I don't know, downscale, um, it, uh, 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 we got the adjective spammy that meant not very good. And uh, of course, uh, you know that if 50 years elapse, we're going to have to make that noun into a verb at, at some point. And so uh, 49 years after spam canned meat uh, came in, we, uh, we recorded the instance of spam as a verb uh, used by computer people, a rather technical term, to crash a program by using way too much input data. And, and, and then it became popular by generalizing that meaning to uh, 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 just flooding, flooding a, a computer with uh, junk email messages and, and things, things of that sort. So once again, in every transition, you can see an element retained from the earlier meaning and other elements simply ignored. Right, that's that's, uh, that's a, a good easy way to look at the, uh, these kinds of changes. Um, <clears throat> harlot. Harlot means what? We don't really use the word much, but if you encounter it in meaning, if you encounter it in your reading, it means something like prostitute, right? And uh, I think always a woman. If I'm, so a male prostitute, I think, would not seriously be called a harlot. Um, in Old French, it meant a rascal or a lad. So it, it could just mean uh, 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 a person, or it could have a connotation of someone who's a little bit wicked. And then uh, when, when it was adopted into Middle English, it meant a particular kind of wicked fellow, someone who does something a little odd to get a laugh. Uh, and there's a, a quote from Chaucer here, which uh, got reformatted by, by this computer. Um, in Middle English, it, uh, it came to mean, uh, it came to be applied to females uh, and, uh, uh, again, particular kinds of females, jugglers, dancing girls, and actresses. Well, you can see where we're going with this word, right? Okay, so we have a female who's doing things that are not the normal, wifely, well-behaved, 
uh, conservative things, all right? They're going sort of beyond the bounds of ordinary behavior, and so the next step you know is going to be uh, uh, something, uh, 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 something close to our modern harlot. <clears throat> the word parlor uh, in, the uh, in, the, uh, in the 12th century was part of a monastery or a cloister that was used for conversation. So if you were a monk or a nun in a place where uh, most of your time was devoted to uh, praying or activities that were not speaking, and maybe you were in a place where, in fact, you weren't allowed to speak, there would be a special room set aside where you could go and talk to visitors. And that was called a parlor because of the French root, P-A-R-L, which means to talk. And by the 18th century in, uh, in English, that became what we call here uh, a, a living room, and they called in, in England a, a sitting room. If it was big enough, they'd call it a drawing room. They had various words for it, but parlor is, is one of those words. Um, when's the last time that you saw parlor referred to as a living room? Like in real estate ads, you know, they say, well, three bedrooms, one parlor, a family parlor. Now, okay, we, we, uh, um, we still, we, we still if, if someone uses parlor to mean living room, we understand them, but it's really not actively used. And yet, I encounter parlor all the time. What kinds of parlors do we have now? Funeral parlor? Massage parlor? Ice cream parlor. Is there a beauty parlor? Beauty parlor. Okay. So uh, parlor is it, uh, it's still designating a room, and what what uh, uh, what characteristics of the previous parlor sitting room uh, do these present instances of parlor uh, preserve? A place of gathering. Say it again. Place of gathering. Okay, so it's a place of gathering, it's, and it's a room, uh, typically a room. So once again, um, it, it, uh, uh, these meanings are built on something that used to be there. We're preserving things, and we're adding things, and we're subtracting things. <clears throat> Devon, I, I, I give just because the history is so um, so complex and, and so well documented. And at every point along the way, you can see how someone can go from stage one to stage two and so on. You can see a connection. In, in the original Persian, Devon meant a brochure. Then it came to mean a collection of poems, so a particular kind of brochure, if you will. And then it meant a register, sort of like a hotel register, where, where records were kept. So we went from a collection of poems to a collection, collection of information about uh, guests or uh, things like that. Next thing from register, we go to a military payload. So special, specializing the meaning even further to military use. And now uh, uh, the paybook goes to an account book in general. You see the connections? Uh, then from account book to the room where an account book is, is kept. 
uh, and, and, uh, and so on. <clears throat> Look at our word elegant. We know from the morpheme list that E is an allomorph of the morpheme X that means out. Leg is the root that means to choose or select. And A-N-T is an adjectival ending. So literally, elegant should mean reflecting choice. And in fact, in pre-classical Latin, the uh, uh, elegant had, had that meaning, but with the connotation of being too choosy. Okay, so being fussy. And just over time, it lost that connotation, but, uh, uh, and, and also acquired, now, now when we think of something elegant, it, it's, it's true that something elegant probably, probably reflects a choice, but that's not really what the adjective says. It says it reflects a certain kind of taste, maybe. The kinds of changes that we illustrated can um, have a variety of effects, of effects on meanings. And we saw cases where the scope of a word widened or narrowed, where uh, what, what the word expressed became uh, better. So amelioration, where uh, melior is uh, 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 a form that means better in Latin. Or pejoration is, is being something worse. So where elegant used to mean fussy, the meaning meliorated. It doesn't mean fussy anymore. And we'll see some other examples here. For widening, <clears throat> barn is, uh, used to be a storehouse for barley. In fact, the B-A-R in barn refers to barley. And the, uh, the vowel plus R-N uh, meant uh, house in Old English. So barn is actually originally a compound word that got fused together in one, but it meant simply a storehouse for barley. And you can see how the meaning widened over time. <clears throat> Adore literally means pray to. And now, we still use that, uh, we talk about adoration and, uh, and, and so on. So adore has preserved that meaning, but we can also use it metaphorically as in, I adore that gown or uh, uh, something that that source. <clears throat> um, narrowing, corn used to mean grain in general. And, uh, and for some people it still does, but in this country, Corn got narrowed to a specific kind of grain. Deer was any animal. Uh, some of you know German here, right? The word tier in, in modern German means animal. And it's exactly cognate with our word deer. The T, the voiceless alveolar stop of German, is systematically related to a D in English, as we'll see in other examples in a couple of weeks. And so Shakespeare in King Lear refers to mice, rat, mice, rats, and such small deer, meaning animals. <clears throat> praise used to mean a praise. The root of a praise is, is the root of a praise. 
it meant to put a value on. But now when we praise something, we not only put a value on it, we put a positive value on it. Mm. Nice, we can decompose into its Latin origin. It has the prefix ne, which means negative or not. Ski, which SCI, the root in science or conscience, means to know. And then, uh, uh, and then an ending. So it meant unknowing. That's what it meant originally. From ignorant, it, it, it came to mean simple. If someone is, uh, is ignorant, they don't have a lot of, I don't know, I don't know how to say it, but they're, they're kind of uh, uh, uncomplex, let's say. And so that, uh, uh, that gave the meaning simple. From, from, uh, for simple, we can mean uh, individual or particular, and now uh, 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 it came to mean pleasant. Pejoration, we have uh, lots of in instances of those. So the example pompous uh, that we talked about earlier at the bottom of this slide uh, uh, is, is one case of that. Um, silly used to mean timely. Criticism is one that we encounter. So criticism can, uh, we use it in, in two ways, don't we? You, uh, literary criticism. Or uh, if you say, I'm a movie critic, doesn't mean I hate movies, <laughs> right? It means I make judgments about movies, whether they're good or bad. But if I say, don't criticize me, I, I probably mean don't say something bad, don't make a bad judgment about me. So for us, criticism has two sorts of meanings, one of which is pejorative, the other of which is neutral. But it started, it started with just one. So we, we can see from examples like these that, that changes sometimes wipe out original meanings. So with nice, nice no longer means ignorant. That, that original meaning is just gone. But with scanning, just like we can scan a document in a, in a scanner, we can still scan a, a, a verse of, of poetry. <clears throat> so whether, whether the old meaning stays on or not is quite independent <coughs> of whether new meanings are acquired. And it just depends on cultural factors and probably depends on, on chance as well. Let's go through the examples here and just, and I'd like you to tell me what sort of change is involved with these amelioration, pejoration, um, narrowing, widening, or what. <clears throat> so cunning, the C-U-N in cunning is related to um, can, an old English root that meant to know. And, uh, and so the original meaning is is knowing. How has cunning changed? It's become, if you're cunning, you're sort of devious, right? Okay, it's become, you're so clever that we probably can't trust you. Uh, so it, it's become uh, uh, pejorated. Egregious. Uh, give me the, the structure of egregious. The E is X. The I-O-U-S is an ad, uh, adjective ending. What's the Greg 
in egregious. Flock. So standing out of the flock. Distinguished. Egregious means distinguished in what sense now? Outrageous, yes. Okay, so there's an example of pejoration. Entrails were called guts, and they still are, but if you say someone's got guts, you don't mean that they have entrails. <laughs> so how has, how has guts changed its meaning? Oh, it's, gone, it's, it's ameliorated, but it's also retained its old, old meaning as well. <clears throat> Notorious to us still means uh, famous in, in a neutral sense. Often people talk about um, the, uh, the notoriety of someone who's simply well-known. But it's a, a, quite another meaning as well, known, known for something bad, like their cell phone going off in class. <laughs> uh, that's an example of pejoration. Um, obsequious. Let's see why obsequious originally meant flexible. We have ob, meaning against or facing, I suppose. And S-E-Q-U is to follow. OK, so the, the picture I get is, is someone just following, following someone, sort of just uh, try, trying to please them by following after them and, and taking care of them in, in some way. All right, so fle flexible in, uh, 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 flexible, but in, uh, in a negative way. So this is an example of pejoration. Queen, the original meaning of queen was woman, and now. Yeah, that's still working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so it's uh, it's it become specialized to be one. Okay, one one type of one. Uh, vulgar meant popular, and now it's it's undergone pejoration. Seems like. Uh, pejorative uh, cases are, are very common here. Take the words scripture and Bible and tell me about their literal meanings and then tell me how the literal meanings have changed to uh, the, the present ones. So scripture, what's the script in script, scripture? What does that refer to? Writing. Right. How about Bible? What's the Bible? Book. Book. Okay. So scripture is a writing. Bible is a book. What kind of meaning change have they undergone? They've, they've narrowed. Good. Now, let's look at the two most basic kinds of, of meaning change, metaphor and metonym. Let's start with metaphor. A metaphor uses a word in a new way, applies a word to a new sort of case. And it, metaphors can exist because we see a resemblance between the old reference of the metaphor and the, and the new one. So uh, when you first heard of the foot of a mountain or a tree or the foot of a bed, 
Uh, it probably didn't bother you. You probably noticed that, oh, this is a novel use of foot. And you had to think a little bit, but it wasn't hard for you to see why someone who up till now was referring to your physical feet, your anatomical feet, would be extending that term to uh, the foot of mountains, beds, and so on, right? But metaphors are based on that kind of resemblance. Sometimes the resemblance is as obvious as that one. Sometimes there's a little more art in, in it. With understand, understand that our verb is based on a metaphor, if you think of the two component parts, under and stand. So in what sense, it's sometimes hard to put these resemblances into words, but how does, how does understanding something relate to standing in a place under something? I have Simon to, to uh, repeat. To hold something up. You hold, okay, hmm, you're holding something up. Interesting. How else? You're able to grasp the full weight of it. You're okay, so, okay, you got the, good, so very good. It, uh, uh, you've got the whole weight of it weighing on you, and so in some sense you're, you're, uh, you're capable of supporting it. That indicates some sort of mastery, I suppose. Grasp. In every language that, I, that I, I've studied, grasp means understand. Grasp is a metaphor for understand. Right, so everybody just sees this, uh, this connection between uh, taking something with your hand and seizing it with your, with your mind. So I don't think that needs a lot of explanation. Mm. Now let's look at uh, some more obscure metaphors. There are just as much metaphors, I think, as the ones we just used. So organic, as in organic food. What, okay, so I mean just, uh, uh, the, the, the difficulty here is we take these meanings for granted. We don't think about where these meanings come from, and, and, that's, and that's good, except in this course. And this course is about, <laughs> this course is exactly about uh, 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 understanding these things that we've never thought about before. So with organic food, I mean, I, I know what the word organ means. I know what the word organic means in organic chemistry. The organic chemistry is, uh, uh, is the study of things that are alive, okay, they have kind of living matter in them. What is it about organic, how, yeah? Around organic fertilizer. Okay, so based, and then, and with organic fertilizers, what, what is, what is the, what, what's the connection between that? As opposed to a synthetic fertilizer. Okay, so, so there's a connection with, uh, with living matter, so non, non-artificial uh, substances, yeah? When people organize things, it's like it makes sense to put it in different um, like sectors or separate them. Okay. And, and it's supposed to be like, you know, it's natural to do that in a way. Okay, so if you, uh, so uh, now with the next example, organize, if, if, you, uh, if, if you organize material, 
you're, uh, uh, what, what you're doing is you're reducing it to an order that is somehow uh, intrinsic to that material. And, the, and so the, 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 uh, the comparison is to uh, an organ, like a bodily organ or some sort of living thing that where every, the, the whole design of it, every part of it, sort of contributes to the functioning of the whole. So organizing something is, is finding the principle that unites all of the different aspects of something whether it's organizing the, the papers on a table or organizing <coughs> knowledge or whatever. <clears throat> and this is, this is literally true. This is the process that speakers of the language went through in uh, coming up with these new uses of, of, uh, of words. Consideration is even more obscure than these. For these, we need to know the, the root of consideration. So it has the prefix con, the ending Asian, what's the I-S-I-D-E-R? Have you ever encountered the adjective sidereal, S-I-D-E-R-E-A-L? It means referring to stars. So consideration has to do with putting the stars together, consulting the stars in order to make a, a decision. That's the, uh, the, that's the original metaphor or image behind that word. Why is metaphor so common? I'm not going to answer this question. I'm going to ask you to answer. Metaphor is, uh, is a part of almost every word that we've uh, seen in this class, probably almost every word that I've used in this class. Why? Why is this? If we if we couldn't use metaphor in language, what what would happen, Emily? Well, I think that language would remain stagnant, and we wouldn't be able to um, express ourselves the way that we have come to. Good, good. So, so suppose that um, we're at a state of English where we don't have a verb like consider. And we want, we want, but we want to express that concept to think, to think about different options and weigh them and so on. All the kind of activities that we associate with consideration. Suppose that we couldn't use the stars or something else as a metaphor for that kind of thinking. What would our, so one alternative would be to just not express it. Another one would be to use a word that doesn't really say that, like think, all right? Just some plain, plain word. Uh, what would be a third way to express the meaning? To be verbose. I'm sorry, Miss. Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. Say, okay, some, somebody has to say it into the <laughs> microphone. Right? <laughs> and into my ear. To be verbose about maybe a long description. Okay, yes, exactly. So it's, it's just like the, the answer to, to my question about uh, you know, what, what else could we do if we, if we couldn't invent a new word, it would be just like what we would have to do if we, if we for, were forbidden to use the word sushi. All right. Sushi, that's not pure English. Don't use that. And so you have, to, well, this little boy has rice, and then there's some fish, raw fish in there, and so 
But you just have to, you have to use a very long-winded way of, of expressing these. So what metaphor does is it gives us a way to express new ideas in ways that are, the people we're, t we'll t we're talking with understand because we think along similar lines. If, if I tried try to make the metaphoric extension in consideration nowadays, well, none of you recognize sitter as referring to star, so that wouldn't work very well. But back in the day when consideration came into the language, everybody shared the same sort of assumptions about the importance of the stars and, and so on. And so uh, when, when that word was used innovatively, metaphorically, everybody more or less understood. Why else is metaphors so common? Yeah, yeah. It provides a visual in some cases uh, as opposed to just a generic word. So, okay, say, say it one more time, Don. It provides a visual uh, in maybe a description. It gives, yeah, it gives us an image. It gives us a picture. And, um, and, and so it, this, this is talking about two things, at least talking about uh, using pictures to communicate, using images to communicate. I think it's also talking about our inventiveness. We don't actually like, I mean, English is not a programming language, all right? We don't like, we don't like to say the same thing time and time. That gets boring, right? And so uh, one, one of the ways to keep the attention of the people we were talking to, one of the ways to impress them with, oh, this person has something new to say. Uh, one of the ways to impress ourselves with, oh, yeah, you know, that, that's a new idea. I never had that before. I, I enjoy that. That's, that's part of what we're doing when, uh, when, when we speak to one another. We're not just communicating uh, messages that can be either true or false, but we, uh, we're, we're looking for new things to say new ways to say them. It's just part of, of what we do when we talk. I was reading a book by George Lakoff, like, uh, Cognitive Scientist. Yeah. And, uh, well, what, is it called Metaphors We Live By? No. By chance? Oh, what's it called? It was the political book, Don't Take oh. an Elephant. Oh, yes. OK, it's great. It's kind of a crib notes yeah. okay, good. version of that. But um, he was saying that when you give a person a new fact, they try to fit it into what they already know or they don't have something that they already know that they can fit it into, they throw it away. So metaphor might be a way of, you know, you okay. need metaphor to explain okay. things to people, otherwise they okay. just simply won't understand. Okay. Okay. So if, uh, uh, if, if you're confronted with a concept that you don't understand, there's just no place for it in your knowledge system, and chances are it will get lost. You'll either discard it or you'll, you'll forget it. But if you can integrate it into your knowledge system by saying, oh, yes, this resembles that. This makes me think of that. That's really all you have to do. I mean, how, how, when you try to remember things, isn't one of the ways you remember to associate some, something that you're trying to remember with something that you already know? All right. So then, yeah, the use of metaphor is really very much like that. Okay, well, those are great answers to the question. Metaphors are so common that we use them without realizing it, and, and if, we, 
if we're not careful, we wind up with mixed metaphors. So this, uh, this passage from the New York Times was uh, uh, published not, not in a uh, tongue-in-cheek article, but in, in a real uh, news article. Advanced climate research is fragmented among an alphabet soup of agencies, referring to how, how agencies are like CIA and, and so on are referred to by their initials. Strained, strained by like super strained, okay, by you're getting the, okay, the point, all right, very good. Strained by inadequate computing power and starved for the basic measurements of real friends. Okay, you see, you see what I mean. Every, <clears throat> every phrase of this makes, uh, makes sense. Every phrase of this is a, a decent metaphor, but metaphors don't really fit together very well. <clears throat> uh, the FAA is far from out of the woods, and the flip side of its shiny Krugerrand of reassurance is a dull and greedy Kopeck of uncertainty and unanswered questions. So here, here's someone uh, uh, who's uh, just trying to be very uh, uh, graphic, but there's just there's too much too much metaphor in, in this, and they don't fit together very well. My favorite, this it, you can find this on the web. Uh, this is uh, posted on our website, and uh, you, you find a house in Virginia. This house is called Perfection Personified. What does personify mean? <laughs> well, that's what it should mean, okay? Personify means made into a person. But personify now has become a metaphor. It means, uh, in fact, give, give me a, a, a synonym for personified in, in this use. Manifested. So becoming real, actual, something like real. Actual, actual perfection. Okay, I mean, I don't see a person in that picture. The house, the house, the house is a metaphor for a person, or the person is a metaphor for a house. <clears throat> metaphor itself is the result of metaphor because metaphor means carry across. Okay, the carrying is, and the crossness is, is all metaphorical. <clears throat> There's another type of metaphor that which we call a particular type of metaphor that we call synesthesia. These aren't very common, but uh, if I say clear, the literal meaning of clear is a visual thing. And yet, uh, uh, I can ask you, was that point clear? Uh, uh, ha! So, okay, it, yeah, is the sound clear? But even, even, even beyond that, is that point intellectually clear? I can, I can go beyond sight or sound. Uh, so loud, of course, refers to a sound, but we talk about a loud necktie or a loud suit, something like that. Synesthesia is so-called, why? Let's, do, let's, uh, let's uh, do the etymology of synesthesia. So S-Y-N is with, esthesia, aesthetic, <coughs> refers to feeling. So. Two, uh, two feelings, two different feelings, two different senses are expressed by these, uh, these words. The other major kind of uh, uh, figurative uh, speech that we, uh, uh, we have is metonymy. Metonymy is the use of metonyms. <clears throat> and uh, let's do the, let's analyze metonym. 
So like metaphor, metonym has the prefix meta, and the root is onym, which we get in homonym, synonym, and so on. It, it means uh, name. So it's a name, it's a name that goes beyond the literal meaning of the name. So I like reading Joyce. I'm using Joyce, the name of a person, to talk about writings of Joyce. So the, 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 uh, this notion of metonymy is using a term that's associated with something to refer to that something uh, uh, figuratively. Okay, Mrs. Grundy frowns on blue jeans. She doesn't, huh? How, how absurd if a person would uh, literally frown, it's like or smi or smiling at blue jeans. I mean, you have to be crazy. What's she frowning on? It's the wearing of blue jeans, all right? A pig skin. Okay, it refers to a football. And we, we, we can see the, uh, the association, but uh, 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 the football gets that meaning by uh, metonymy from him. Or get your butt over here. I really don't want your butt. I want you. <laughs> I want, and I'm just using one body part, you know, essential body part of you, to refer to you, the, the, the whole person. So these are good examples of, of metonymy. Uh, let's, let's look at these cases. Um, I use foot, metaphorically and metonymically. Hand, metaphorically and metonymically. And neck, metaphorically and metonymically. And I'd like you to tell me which, which of the two uses in each case is a metaphor or uh, a metonym. So foot of a tree is a metaphor we, we saw already. Uh, the, the metaphor is based on just being down low, down at the bottom of the, of the object. But if I say that a foot is 12 inches, why, why is that? Okay. It's because there's an association between the length of the foot and this measure, 12 inches. All right. So it's, it's not like my, my foot doesn't resemble a ruler. It's just that if you, if you see a foot, it can help you to gauge what 12 inches is. With a hand, okay, if you use a hand to measure a, a horse, right, see the, uh, the horse is however many hands long. The, uh, th this hand is giving you a, 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 a way to express a connection between uh, 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 something that you can see and an abstract measurement. But the, uh, the hand doesn't, uh, uh, hand is not being used metaphorically here. Uh, if, if that's not clear, then compare it to the next example where hand is used metaphorically. So if I give someone a hand, it means I'm, us I'm using. It means metaphorically, I'm using my hand to assist them in some way. All right, there. That that's a metaphor. Is that okay with everybody? It's not okay to me, sir. Is that so? In, in one degree, it's more literal, and other is more abstract. Yeah. Right. The uh, uh, the 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 connection. Right. The the connection between a metonym 
and what it refers to is, is very abstract. The metaphor tends to be based on a physical resemblance. All right. Yeah, yeah. Ab abstraction, I think, is a good way to, to see it. Uh, again, take, take the neck of a violin, which is easy to see as a metaphor. All right. uh, it's visual. And now winning, uh, winning a race by a neck. Okay. Where uh, the, 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 the resemblance is, is more abstract. <clears throat> okay, let's ask everybody to come to the board here. And write, uh, so uh, uh, I'm going to move the computer so that nobody trips over the wires. But ask everybody to, uh, to take a piece of chalk and one, write one word from computer technology that, like, <laughs> mouse. Okay? And uh, because with computer technology, we had to invent a whole new vocabulary for expressing these things that have become everyday. And guess, guess what we did in order to develop that vocabulary? Well, let's, let's see by having you each put a word on the board. Just the first word that comes to mind. And I don't, don't try to think you know, how it's relevant and so on. Well, I would just want to see what pattern is formed when, uh, uh, when a, a bunch of different people come up and put down uh, uh, one, one word in a given field. All right, so everybody come up here. Okay. Motherboard, what, what, what kind of use is that? Is that a metonym, metaphor, is it pejoration? What is it? <laughs> Help me. What's okay? So I mean, what? So what does motherboard have to do with mother? Yeah, it's kind of the origin. Yeah, it's the main. That's where where you go to for that's that's the center of everything. Okay. What's what's the connection between that and mother? Mother's Day. How nice that this is happening so close yeah. to Mother's Day. All right. right. Mother, mother is where we go. Mother holds everything together. <laughs> All right. What does that sound like to you? It's not a metonym. It's not an abstract. Yeah, it's a metaphor. Uh, board. Board. The board is a piece of wood. How does the motherboard resemble a piece of wood? Flat. That's all. That's all. Flat, thin. All right. Metaphor, right? <clears throat> Lisp doesn't count. <laughs> uh, because, is it, isn't it an acronym? I'm not sure. It's it processing. I'm not sure that's uh, yes. a uh, Part of the charm of Lisp, I guess, is, uh, is that it makes us think of the Lisp in speaking. But uh, I, I think that, I don't know if that, I, I think that, uh, that was, that aspect of it was made, made to make it sound uh, cute. I don't know. Log in. What's the log in log in? It's, it's, it's a record. It's, sign, sign, it's like logging miles. Okay, it's ent entering in, information in, into, into something. Is that kind of close? All right. 
Modem, okay. <laughs> modem also is, is this is this is the result of modulate, demodulate. It, it's this, this is the result of uh, clipping modulate and demodulate in a very inventive way. Cursor. Uh, cur what the uh, C-U-R-S means? Run? Run. Uh, it's, the, uh, it's the same word, the uh, same root that we get in uh, a cursory, so a cursory glance, it's like you're just running past some, something. Um, and so uh, this, the running of a cursor, that's metaphoric. Okay, it's not physical running, it's like running. Hard drive, I love that. Okay, so a drive. Before hard drives, did we have a drive as a noun? We could go for a drive in the country, I suppose. But did we have objects that were called drives? Driveway. Oh, OK. So yes, so drive, short for driveway, a place that we drive. Or road. Uh, well, how, did, how do you think we, uh, it, it, you know, when, when the hard drive was invented, it wasn't obvious to the inventors that it should be called a drive. It could have been called uh, a compartment. It could have been called uh, I don't know, <laughs> uh, uh, a can, I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, it, but it took a certain kind of image and imagination to apply the term drive to this, to this word. I mean, it just had never been used. But, what is, but now, now that we have the word, what is the resemblance between a hard drive, either the way it looks or how it functions, and what we think of as driving? It's, it's, it's moving in a directed way, a very regular way. It's, uh, it's I don't know, contributing to the functioning of a system, the driving the system in that sense. And it's, a, it's actually a very, very uh, interesting use. How about the hard in hard drive? That's easier to understand in relation to what else, what else we use to store information at, at the time. There was soft, soft floppies, right? And so you can see how hard, hard would, uh, uh, would uh, express the fact that this is something that is different from floppy disks and so on. It's a kind of storage where the, the container is harder. It's physically you know, more durable. Um, motherboard, okay, great. Uh, <laughs> Google. Google. Google is one of the most fabulous names I think that ever ever came to the market marketplace. Where where does Google come from? What did, when, when you when you first when you first encountered the word Google? It was it wasn't that long ago. How many years ago was that? It wasn't it wasn't even ten, was it? And more than five, but less than ten. When you first encountered it, what did you picture? What associations did you make? Yeah. Quantities. 
just like didn't it mean like a huge number like Okay, yeah, so there's a, there is this huge number, Google, G-O-O-G-O-L, that the founders of Google say, oh yeah, that's what we meant, we just misspelled it. And I think they're being disingenuous. But yes, it makes us, so it makes us think of something with huge capacity. So there's, uh, there's a resemblance between the pronunciation of that and Google. What's the difference between Google spelt this way, and Google, G-O-O-G-O-L. If you look at them, which one, uh, which one looks friendlier and why? <laughs> this one, the G-O-O-G-L-E, looks friendlier. Why is that? Because it has a similar ending to um, other words. It looks, yeah, it looks more, more like words that we've seen, like, like ogle and uh, frugal or uh, like, beagle, like beagle. All right. But how many, uh, there's lots of words that end in G-L-E, dangle, dangle, tangle, and so on. There's lots of words that begin G-O-O, but there's very few words that, be, uh, that end with G-O-L. So there's something about Google that just sounds, although massive, it also sounds friendly and everyday, something you use every day. Uh, great. Um, icon. What's, what was an icon before we had computer screens? A religious figure, a religious figure, uh, maybe a statue, right, that, that stood for some religious person, right? What, what kind of relationship is it between that icon and the icons on the computer screen? They're visual, they stand for a, a particular thing, not a religious person, but, but for something else. That kind of resemblance, is that, is that a metaphor? Yes, yeah, okay, good. Well, um, uh, very good. I think we should take a break now. Uh, we'll start in just a minute, but uh, if, if, you, if you haven't gone through, actually, circle or underline or some, somehow highlight the, the metaphors that you see. And we'll ask, uh, ask everyone, we'll see if we agree on. So starting with the, the headline, what's the first metaphor? Sweep. What's the, what's the image that you get? They just they swept them out of the uh, out of the uh, stadium or arena or wherever wherever the the game was on. In the sub subhead, eleventh run, ninth inning, helps Cardinal down. SJSU San Jose State University is down a metaphor. Yeah, yeah, because down literally, what does down mean? It's a direction. Okay. We're, we're using the word for that direction to describe an action, which is putting them down. So they're sweeping the floor with these guys, and they're crushing them into the floor. All right. What about what? Run. 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 Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, yes. Good. Missed it. Thank you. Uh, what's, the, what's the image there? Uh, in this case, it's okay, good. Number three came through in the clutch again this weekend. Next metaphor. Uh, 
clutch. Help me understand. What, where do we get in the clutch? What's the image that that, that, that communicates? Kind of like you're being squeezed and you manage to get out of it. OK. So clutch, clutch is uh, to, to hold closely in your hand. OK. And we use that as an image for a tight situation. Defeating both on the road and at Sunken Diamond. Any metaphors there? On the road. On the road, right. They weren't out on 101, were they? <clears throat> and even the name Sunken Diamond, I'm sure, is also uh, a couple of metaphors. It's, it, uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the Sunken Diamond. I, ha I haven't. But what picture does that term give you? What do you think it looks like? Yeah, so it, it, it's low, okay, it's kind of low in the ground. So sink, which means to submerge underwater, is that action is, is used to, to help locate this with, reflect, with respect to the regular surface of the Earth. And even diamond, that's an abstract shape. Probably this is not exactly the shape of a diamond, but there's, there's something diamond-like about the about the, oh, this is the baseball team. OK, I see. It's a baseball diamond. <clears throat> All right, excuse me. I'm trying to uh, cardinal face what looks to be a hopeless situation. Face face. Uh, wait, Matt, Matt has some. I, I was going to say in the previous sentence, it's came through. Oh, it's came through. Very good. Came through is definitely, definitely a, a metaphor. OK, well, uh, you, you get the idea that e even in this is an everyday article. It's not particularly uh, uh, distinct. Dis distinct. It, I, I think I think the writing is good. I think it's lively, but it's just full of metaphors. All right, where we'd like to go from here is I'd like to uh, I'd like to give you a couple more examples of uh, how uh, how how changes do things that we might not expect. And then I'm going to uh, uh, suggest an assignment for next week that goes beyond what's in the book, although there's also an assignment in, uh, from the text, which I'll, uh, I'll write on the board and will uh, have already put on the website. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll close with a little a little thing about Mother's Day. All right, here we go. <clears throat> um, look at these changes. Manufacture. Literally, manu in manufacture refers to hand. Fact is the verb make. So manufacture means make by hand, literally. What does it mean to us? Pretty much make by machine. If something's, if, if, if something's made by hand, we don't say it's manufactured, do we? Right. So how, how did that happen? What's the connection? Was, it, was, did, was this a mistake? Yeah, no, I mean, back when we probably originated, everything was made by hand, and then the technology, everything sort of shifted to machine. Right. And you know, the manufacturing process. So, so we're now we're now looking at this fabricating process as it still involves physical effort, 
But it, it, uh, the hand is involved in, in most of these only metaphorically. All right, it's some, some agent. It could be a robot. It could be something that has nothing to do with hands is still involved in, in this process of, of making something. When, when we manufactured something, the, uh, the idea was um, we put together uh, different parts. We assembled them with our hands and formed them and so on. All, all of that's still taking place. It's just that the hand is no longer necessarily involved. <clears throat> Garble used to mean to take the garble out of something. It was like to weed, to weed the lawn, all right? But, uh, uh, but now to garble a message means to make it, make it garble-like, all right? So the, uh, uh, the, the image that these, uh, that these words are conveying, it seems like almost the opposite of what they started conveying. Along those lines, but even worse, and very hard for us to live with, but this is true, and these definitions come from a dictionary, not the OED, but uh, uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary. By monthly means, two months, sorry, the morphemes, sorry, happening every other month or happening twice a month. So one is four times the other, and yet they're the same word, they're pronounced the same, they use, they use the same, and so on. And so when, when we use the term bi-monthly, we have to make sure somehow that we're conveying the right idea. How, same with bi-weekly. How, how do we, have you, have you encountered this confusion? Yeah. Yeah, so how do we, how do we deal with the fact that these, uh, the same expression means two things that are related, but one is four times the, the, the other? How, how do we deal with that? I used to work at a company where we got paid bi-monthly, and they always followed it with on the 15th and the 30th. Oh, <laughs> oh great, okay. All right, so by specifying the, which, which one we mean, by, but just being, being more exact. In, uh, the, the, the way I deal with the confusion is I don't use those terms anymore. Okay? It's just like I'll never, I'll never say to you, I'll see you next Monday, because you won't know what that means the Monday after this one or the Monday after the, mon the Monday that's coming up. All right. Um, table. This, this, this is actually in, in the OED. <clears throat> table in a political context, like in parliament, means to bring forward or submit for discussion or consideration, to put on the table. In America, in the Congress, when we table something, we put it on the table, but put, when it's on the table, we don't have it in our hands until we're not going to take action on it. All right. they're, just, they're just the opposite. Same thing, uh, same thing with, uh, with sanctions, right? I, uh, 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 I thought, I, uh, years ago, I was reading about sanctioning something, and I, I really thought that I, I, had missed, I had missed something, either in my education in the English language or in the, the passage that I read about sanctioning because I, I thought sanction meant this, and it, they, were, they were using it to mean the other. I don't know, again, if you've encountered that, but meanings change so much that 
um, a, a word can retain an earlier meaning and still uh, change, change the meaning to its opposite. Fortunately, these so-called contronyms are not, uh, not very common. <clears throat> Store. Help me understand the noun store. If take take our verb to to store something. All right, if you store something, you you you're putting it somewhere. You you know you know where it's going to be when you need it. But you kind of you're storing it. You're putting it out of the way. You're not going to use it now. All right. Now take the noun store. It's a place where you sell things, right? Now, I thought when you made a noun into a verb, there was a direct relation. So if I, if I stored something, that, that should mean I put it in a store, like I was going to sell it. But in fact, I'm kind of removing it so it couldn't possibly be sold. So that's, that's beginning to seem like an opposite. Help me, help me, underst uh, help me understand, help of what? It seems that in a store there are um, there are a large number of items kept so that you you can you have easy access to them. Okay, good. So the the, the kind of store that we, we think of the Nan store uh, has uh, has a good system. So everything's displayed, everything's put in its place, and so it's that just uh, just like we saw in other instances of change, some some aspects of the meaning are are held constant. And others are just blithely ignored. Okay, so with 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 the verb to store, what we have is it means putting putting it in a place. And stores are are places where everything's in its place, so you know the customer knows where to look for things and, and so on. Okay, very good. Um, interestingly, <clears throat> that uh, that works for us in America, but if you go to Britain. That won't work. A store, uh, what we call a store here in Britain is called a shop. Exactly. And, uh, and so in Britain, what's called a store is it's like a warehouse. It's a place where things are stored. And they must be furious with us because it was so illogical. And we, we took their language. And we made this illogical step, and we, we, so we made the relationship between the noun store and the, the, the verb store so non-transparent. But our store we wouldn't, is, seems to imply size, because I wouldn't call um, like a, a little boutique. I would not call that a store. I would okay. call that a shop. Because oh, that's good, a good. little place where you go good. to buy a specific good. thing. But a store, Walmart, is a store. <coughs> Great. So, uh, so we, we found a way in our language to di uh, differentiate a, a store from a shop. So we're making good use of, of both of those terms, no question about it. It's just that our use of the store has sort of departed from its logical connection uh, with the verb. There's more to the story, it turns out. <clears throat> I looked this up in the OED. And, and uh, so a store is a place where merchandise is kept for sale that's chiefly uh, North American and outside of the United Kingdom. In, in early use, a store was a, sh a shop on a large scale. So really, just what Emily uh, uh, told us, dealing in a great variety of uh, okay, and uh, equivalent to the British used shop. Now, 
here's, 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 here's the, the next part of the thing. The use of the word in this sense has not become common in, in the UK except in chain store, department store, and store detective where they use store to refer to the same thing we do. Now, why do you think that happened in the UK? They got it from us. It's our fault. We started, so we started department stores. They, they started, they started, they had to call them something. They called them by what we did. And so gradually, store with our use is creeping into British English and no doubt one day will be reunited again and everybody will mean the same thing by store when they, when they use the term. I'm just curious, what is a store detective? A store detective? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, if, uh, it's easy to find out. All you have to do is shoplift <laughs> something. Okay. So like and the store, yeah, the store detective will come up and, and start asking you questions. <laughs> It'll probably take you, take you into a small room <laughs> and question you. So obviously, obviously, you've never been caught shoplifting before, or you, you would have known the answer. To I that. blocked it. <laughs> <laughs> OK. Ah. Uh, and the. Uh, th 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 this is the last change that we'll talk about. Ah. That's the unstressed version of what used to be. Uh, uh, actually, the unstressed version of a word that is still in the language. And that word has the stressed version of ah, which sounds like ah. So it has the same sound. But it, uh, the, the word that uh, 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 used to be one with is the word one. One. So in, in, in Old English, there was, uh, the, we have the number one. And it uh, 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 had one table, one piece of paper, one person, and so on. Uh, over time, that one was reduced in stress, and so it became un. And we still get that un in an apple, an orange, and so on. But uh, we stop saying un person. We drop the n, we have a person. That's why today we have a versus an, depending on whether a vowel follows or not. The n used to be there in all of the cases. So we can say that uh, the, mean, the meaning of one has, has changed. It has become, uh, we still have one, but it has also become the indefinite article. What about a versus a, or the versus the? Yeah, I think that, I, I think that that's a spelling pronunciation. So, uh, like when uh, when when we changed uh, one to un, that was uh, that was ph phonetically motivated. It's because the the word was reduced in stress, and so it just became shorter, harder to hear. The, the initial consonant this w became less important. But uh, a uh, came about not because of anything inherent to the pronunciation. But the way we spell it is with the letter A, and so when we see it, that's the way. It's just like when we say that the only thing I care about. The V is pronouncing the letter that we see, E, 
rather than the letters that we, we originally said. Is there one that's more correct than the other? Are they both? You know, that, that's a great question uh, to be asking because our topic for next week is correctness and usage. <laughs> so uh, uh, don't let me off the hook, but, but bring that up next time. Yeah, Jennifer. Just to tag on to that, and I don't know the rule, but I have a lot of clients who said that they learned the rule about when to use the versus the. Oh, great. I'll ask them. I don't know what it is, but oh, they, well, they, they know a rule. But, uh, yeah, is there a way to look it up? Probably. If there, if, if there is, if you can find it, that, uh, uh, that would no doubt help. Uh, uh, it wouldn't hurt. <clears throat> With the, the is a form that in, it was a form of a morphine that in Old English meant that and was pronounced that. So the used to be a demonstrative. It's a reduced form of the demonstrative, and it's, and it's less demonstrative. So when we say that person, we're pointing, at least metaphorically. But when we say the person, we're not pointing anymore. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's a kind of more reduced, uh, more reduced form. But we could say even uh and the have changed their meaning over time. All right, for next week, here's what I'd like you to do. Next week, we talk about usage. What's correct? Who gets to decide? How many different uh, varieties of, of English uh, 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 does one person master? What do those varieties uh, have to do with one another? And so what, what I'd like you to do is to, uh, to just listen to uh, uh, what, what people are saying and notice what, what makes you think, why did they say that? I, you know, I'd never do something like that. That's odd. All right, I'll give you some examples on the next slide. Uh, uh, do, do this in conversations. If you're watching TV or a movie, just things that you catch in your reading, just uses that you're not, uh, it, it's not like you think they're wrong. It's just, I wouldn't have said it that way. I'll, let me give you a couple examples. If, uh, if possible, uh, whatever you have, send me around noon by, shall I say, next Monday. I specify a date here. It's clearer that way. Monday the 12th, and, uh, and then I'll, uh, I'll put together a big, uh, big handout and send, send them out to class. And we can, we can use uh, some of what you find to, uh, to help us wade our way through these questions that we constantly face how should I say this? Is this correct? How is someone going to react if I say, are they going to think that I don't know the rules of English or, or something like that? So I made a, a log of some things that, uh, uh, that I noticed. And these, just, uh, just th these are the kinds, kind, kinds of things I noticed. That you'll, you'll notice are, are different things. In the New York Times a couple days ago, someone talked about perceived slights by uh, it's actually by Jeremiah Wright in, in response to what Obama uh, had, had said. And the slight was misspelled. Slight uh, means crafty maneuver. And, and because of the touchiness of that Wright-Obama situation, I thought maybe it, you know, it could have meant that. But the, the, the sense of the, of the article made me think that they meant, they meant to say that Wright had suffered a humiliating discourtesy at the hand of Obama. 
And it turns out that, yeah, the Times corrected the, the spelling error on the web. So the web article has, has S-L-I-G-H-T. Notice re reticent being used uh, to mean reluctant. I'm reticent to say anything about this. It was used by a, a linguist friend. And that's kind of, it's just, it's, it's an extension of the use of reticent that I'm more familiar with, which means taciturn. It just kind of doesn't speak very much. <clears throat> uh, that same linguist used bisyllabic, so a Latin prefix with a Greek root instead of disyllabic. That just really, I, said, I, I wouldn't say that. Um, an, another friend used uh, addlebrained. And I said, oh, how trite, how trite. Uh, uh, on the radio today, I heard uh, this, this didn't affect my decision-making process. And while it wouldn't be the same exactly to say it didn't affect my decision, the end result of, if something doesn't affect the process of your making the decision, it's not going to affect your decision either. And I, said, I just said to him, yeah, I would, I, I would have said it didn't affect my decision. One, uh, one other thing, I, uh, 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 in an uh, old movie that I watched the other night, uh, someone talked about six bits. This only cost six bits. It took me a while to do the math and come up with 75 cents. I said, wow, it's been a while since I've heard someone talk about two bits, let alone uh, let alone six bits. So those are, those are just the, the, the kinds of things. I want, if you've got, um, got a moment, this is just an honor, uh, oh, this is, forget things. Okay, okay. in honor of uh, matronalia, okay, the Latin word for a Roman festival honoring Juno, the goddess of childbirth. And on this date, Roman husbands gave presents to their wives. So this is like one of the original Mother's Days. <clears throat> and there's something called Mothering Sunday, which is how the British refer to Mother's Day. It, hap it happens uh, uh, earlier in spring. It happens on, uh, I think, the first Sunday in March or March 2nd or something in Britain. But they actually call it something different, although over time, Brit Brit uh, uh, the British are beginning to use our term, Mother's Day. And then finally, Mother's Day in the US, <clears throat> um, it started as a holiday, uh, it, 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 Julia Ward Howe uh, is, is uh, uh, responsible for proclaiming nationally the first Mother's Day. Her purpose was to protest the deaths of mother's sons in the, in the most recent war of her time, which was the Civil War. And then finally in 1914, ironically, shortly before the US went into the uh, First World War, Mother's Day uh, became an official U.S. holiday. So, uh, <clears throat> so this term Mother's Day, we see, has, has sort of uh, changed its, its symbolism, its meaning over time, somewhat in the way that words change their symbolism and meaning over time. Mother's Day has some of the same meaning it originally did, but it's also, uh, it's, uh, it, it's also somewhat different. Okay, that's great. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, the, uh, the, the assignment for next week, the writing assignment uh, will be posted on the website.